afternoon, everyone. How you doing? I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. Okay, this is weird, Stan. This is weird because it's not Saturday and we're here. We're doing it early. <laughs> we are doing it early because you're going out of town and I hope you have a blast. And it's just weird to tape early. And the crazy thing is we are going to talk about so many things today that I know the listeners are going to want to weigh in on. And if they call, no one's going to be here to answer. Well, I know one of them that you're going to be bringing up. Uh, we've been talking about that a little bit before the show here. And I'm sure that'll raise a few years. Guns, guns, guns. Don't mess with our gun rights. Oh, my gosh. This this uh, this whole Florida shooting. What? It, it, it was horrible. It was so horrible and so tragic. And I have so many things to say about guns uh, and about gun control and about banning guns and about gun grabbers and about the children. And I am just so uh, sad and disgusted with the way things are moving forward on this whole thing. I feel like I, 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 my heart breaks for these children. And then to see them exploited and to see them paraded across, uh, across the political atmosphere as the gun grabbers try to take our guns away, because that is exactly what they're trying to do. All these children want, all these children want is to feel safe in school. Your heart has to break for them and what they went through. And, and he, to hear them calling for, um, rifle assault bans for gun control is just is just so ridiculous. I heard it makes one of the me le- angry. I heard one of the leading spokesperson for the students, if you will, and one of the things she said was, "We need to ban semi-automatic." I'm I'm summarizing here, but basically it was, "We need to ban semi-automatic weapons. There's no need for them." It, which is so ridiculous. And, and, you know, Florida just refused to pass the, the assault rifle ban. And some of these children cried. I would cry too after the tragic, horrific situation that they had to go through. Uh, they truly are survivors, but it is heartbreaking to watch them exploited like that. And, and shame on the parents. Shame on the parents for allowing their children to be paraded across the TV. Oh, and, and everybody's going to jump on it. There are big rallies coming what up. What was the mom thing that happened at the Capitol here today or yesterday? Oh, we're going to talk about that, okay. too. We're going to talk about that. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in, in just a second. Um, we're going to talk about guns in the 4 o'clock hour. And what I want people to focus on, I would like people to remember the names of, of these people who died in that horrific mass shooting, a school shooting that we saw in in uh, in Florida. We had the geography teacher, uh, Scott Beagle. We had Aaron Feist, who was a, a football coach. They saved lives. They saved lives, and they died in the result. Um, that nobody, no, now everybody is so busy talking about banning guns and talking about gun control that they're forgetting about the people who, the 17 people who lost their lives in the, in, in the school shooting. Uh, Alyssa Alderhoff. 14-year-old soccer player, Nicholas Dorwett, a swimmer that was going to the University of Indianapolis, Jamie Gutenberg, 14. 
teen who who danced nonstop. Uh, the school's athletic director, Christopher Hickson. Luke Hoyer, who loved his family and basketball and had a big heart. Jacqueline Oliver, who wrote po- poetry. Elena Petty, 14, who was a volunteer and, and a member of the Junior Reserve Officer Training. Peter Wang, who saved so many lives, who was also a member of the ROTC in that school. He saved lives. He died holding a door open so people could escape and get and get away. Nobody's talking about these people. 14-year-old Kara Lorgan, 14-year-old Gina Montello, 14 years old. Can you believe that? 14-year-old Alex Schrader, 16-year-old Carmen Shentrep, uh, and I'm sorry for for massacring their names uh 17-year-old Helena Ramsey this is so heartbreaking and and to have these survivors standing up there talking about things that they don't understand talking about uh, a perspective that they they have every right to tell you what happened to them to share the horror and how scared they were and how awful it was uh, all they want to do is feel safe all they want to do is feel safe and what we're seeing they're they're being used as political ploys in, in an effort for more gun control and and once again we're seeing so many people who who are so worried about safety, they're going to give up their liberty and they shouldn't do it. They shouldn't do it. Obviously, I feel very strongly about this. So the four o'clock hour uh, is going to be great. And I'll tell you, no one is telling me one single thing that that these gun grabbers uh have done to make schools safer. What are we going to do to protect our schools? I've got lots of ideas. Like Stan said, we're also going to talk about the legislature. The gavel fell on Tuesday, first day of the 2018 legislative session. Oh my gosh! Yep, there are already gun bills. We'll gun bills over there. We'll we'll talk about those too. Do you remember I told you there were some 2,600 bills in the hopper from last year? Yep, they're still just sitting there waiting. There's another uh, two or three hundred that were dropped. Yes, the first day a legislative session on on Tuesday. What was so surprising about the legislative session, usually it's a lot of pomp and circumstance, but they hit the ground running uh, with, with all kinds of things. The Democrats, they know how to play this game. They had over 200 people there uh, wearing their gun grabber clothing and having their pre-printed signs on their buses that were paid for by every town, uh, the anti-gun group. Uh, Bloomberg, I think, is the guy who funds it out of there. Uh, we should have Rob Dorr or Brian Strauser or somebody come on and and talk about some of the things that we're going to be doing over at the Capitol. But you had some 200 uh, mostly women over there calling for gun control. And and I only saw one vagina hat, only one. So that was kind of surprising. She must not got not, must not have gotten the memo that you, we weren't supposed to wear those hats anymore. Uh, but then besides the 200 uh, people that were there uh, proposing uh, gun control measures and demanding gun control measures. The unions were there. MAPE was there. SEIU was there. So you had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Democrats in mass showing up at the Capitol, demanding change, talking about uh, how they were going to work for their progressive agenda, how they were going to work so hard to make sure the Republicans were thrown out of the majority 
well, at least in the House, uh, and make sure the Republicans wouldn't win the the governorship, because, of course, this is Mark Dayton's last year. Uh, I got a lot to tell you about what's going on at the Capitol, but I want you to remember this. Well, the Democrats had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. Do you know who was there for the Republicans? Tim Pawlenty. Tim Pawlenty. Oh, spare me. And Tim Pawlenty was there talking to the Senate caucus. I hope the Senate caucus asked for a very generous uh, donation from Tim Pawlenty. And then I hope they said, see ya, Tim. We've done just fine without you for the last seven years. We've moved on. We don't need you back again. Uh, plus, I'm going to tell you about my court case. So we're taping this show early, so don't call in. I won't even give the, well, not that I do very often anyway. I won't even give the telephone number out because there's nobody here to answer your phone. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., going in front of the United States Supreme Court. And this has been so exciting. It's been such an incredible ride. I can't wait to tell you uh, how we got there, what the case is about, why it's so important, and why everyone should hope we win, because it's amazing. Uh, and, uh, of course, you know, New Brighton is kind of like the gift that just keeps on giving. I live in New Brighton. I think most of you know that and the craziest stuff is going on in new brighton so i have to tell you about some of that kind of stuff too so do you think it sounds like a packed show stan it definitely is it always is i know i know you gotta pack like three weeks into this one show because you're going to be gone next week john gilmore is going to john gilmore is going to fill in thank you to john gilmore i'm sure he will have plenty to talk about when he fills in for me and then i'll be back after that too we're going to take a quick break when we come back i just want to dwell on the olympics for a second because apparently we have so many uh athletes from the united states of america that they are focusing uh, to the point of distraction on politics, and they have forgot to focus on winning, which <laughs> drive everyone crazy. And, you know, you know what a big homer I am. You just know it. Like the new gopher uniforms came out. Oh, my God, they're awesome. They are so awesome. I love it. Too bad it can help you, us win. <laughs> you know that I'm already saying the Vikings are going to the Super Bowl next year. You know that. <laughs> and, of course, the Olympics. USA, USA, USA. I know I'm a homer. I can't help myself. But I am so irritated. At some of the politi- at some of the politics that these athletes are playing. Stay tuned, everyone. Lots more coming. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM eleven thirty and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the taped version of the Sue Jeffers Show. Stan's going out of town, so we taped this a little bit earlier in the week. Thank you for listening. Uh, and it seems like today it's just me talking nonstop at you. And, well, what's new? Don't I talk nonstop at you all the time? Okay, quick reminder before I tell you some thoughts about the Olympics. Uh, quick reminder, March 1st coming up, it's the LEA Awards Banquet. And I have had some of the folks from the LEA 
I loved LEA, the Legislative Evaluation Assembly. It's my favorite group. They It costs $10 to join them. They meet once a year to hand out awards for people who have actually followed the Constitution uh, with their votes over at the, the legislature. The uh, Their annual banquet, LEA 2018 Awards Banquet, is Thursday, March 1st at the Mermaid Event Center. You can go to their website, mnlea.org, and register. The social hour and registration begins at 5.30, dinners at 6.30. They will be honoring Representatives Cal Barr, Matt Dean, and Eric Luchero. So think about that. Out of 200 legislators over there, they're honoring three of them. Yeah. Yeah. We need some <laughs> we need some representatives with a little more backbone over there. Uh there are some honorable mentions too and to be fair, it was a very Well, you know what? To be fair, we deserve better. We, the people of Minnesota, deserve better. So I'm pleased that they're honoring Cal, Matt, and Eric, and some of the other honorable mentions. The the featured speakers, Mr. Eric Cardall and Professor Teresa Colette, who are both excellent speakers, they are talking about constitutional perspectives, populist versus conservative and if that sounds dry to you it isn't it's like i say they are great uh they're great speakers they're going to give us a really interesting perspective and the people who go to the lea banquet are a blast i swear they're the smartest people out there the folks at lea their president don lee was just in here a couple weeks ago john augustine's been on gordon uh gordon anderson has been in here they work so hard to make sure that that we know what What's going on over there? And so go to MNLEA.org and hopefully I'll see you at the awards banquet on March 1st at The Mermaid. Oh, my gosh. The Mermaid has been there like, I don't know, 50 years, 75 years. They took The Mermaid down. I mean, holy cow, no mermaid on The Mermaid. But that's okay. All right. So it's the Olympics. I told you I was a homer. You know I love the Olympics. But there was an article last week um, that came out in USA Today Sports. It was it actually ran uh, locally here, I think on Channel 11, if I remember right, CARE 11. Uh, and the headline of the article was New Winter Olympic Sport, American Fans Hating on American Athletes Who Speak Their Mind. And I just thought, wait a minute. Okay, we all know how social media is. We all know it. But this Christine Brennan, who wrote this USA Today Sports column, it it was just so unbelievable. And this is the kind of stuff that passes at news now. And she talks about how perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that Americans are rooting for their fellow Americans to fail at the Olympic Games. Okay. I don't know anyone who wants us to fail at the Olympic Games. I don't know anyone who wants an athlete to fail at the Olympic Games. Games. First, it started with Adam Rippon, then Lindsey Vaughn, then Gus Kenworthy. And this Christine Brennan writes, all three dared to speak out critically against the leaders of our country, something that is about as American as apple pie and very much in keeping with the First Amendment. Well, Christine, you're right. But you know what? 
if these three dare to speak critically against the leaders of our country, something that is about as American as apple pie and is very much in keeping with the First Amendment, guess what? We get to respond. We get to respond when they say stuff like that. And and you have to kind of... Uh, Aaron House, Aaron House tweeted out, what came first, the Olympic athlete bashing his own president or at an international event or American people defending their president? And it's a very good question, isn't it? I, it? It irritates me so much when you have these athletes who aren't focused on winning. They're too busy being distracted by politics. This Kareen Brennan in this USA Today Sports article goes on and talks about how it, it it's apparently a-okay for Adam Rippon or Lindsey Vaughn or Gus Kenworthy or whoever to come out and say anything that they want. And, and, and apparently we're not supposed to answer back. Uh, she writes, one would think that because the criticism of Trump is so widespread across the country, his fans would ignore it by now. No, Christine. No, no, we're not. Uh, she points out that, that the Trump supporters didn't lose the election. They won it. They can declare victory, move on, wave the flag and leave Rippon to take the ice and Vaughn and Kenworthy to take to the slopes. Christine Brennan goes on and says, no, these anti-American Americans became so rattled by an honest exchange of opinions that their anger gets the best of them and they end up treating a once-in-a-generation U.S. sports icon like Lindsey Vaughn as if she were the mortal enemy of the old CCCP. Well, give me a break. She goes on and says, if you haven't read what has been said on social media about Vaughn and the openly gay Rippin and Kenworthy, let your imagination run wild. Angry insults, personal attacks, nasty language, childish taunts, the works. And of course, she has to point out that it is a very different kind of criticism than what the athletes doled out to Trump and or Pence. And I just I am just so uh, shocked and surprised by A, that the athletes would not focus on winning instead of on politics. I am not surprised in the least bit that some people responded nastily to them. It is no surprise on social media. I can't begin to tell you the things people say about me on social media or sometimes in letters, sometimes to my face. <laughs> so most of the time, not to my face because they, you know, people aren't really that brave. Uh, I think, um, Lindsey Vaughn pretty much took the high road. I think she responded back saying it's okay. Um, you know, she appreciates the people who who supported her, and I give her credit with that. Um, but I want you to think about this. Lindsey Vaughn has had a tremendous, tremendous skiing career. Tremendous. She's probably done now. She took the bronze she, um, on Tuesday night, and I, I think she said that would probably be her last um, Olympics that she would be. She's had a tremendous career and and done tremendous things for for the sport. Uh, some of the skaters and other skiers and whatever. Some of the heroes. Chloe, she's my favorite. Um, or, or my other one, the girl 
they couldn't decide if, well, she loved snowboarding and she loved skiing and they wanted her to pick one of them and she wouldn't pick one of them. She said, I'd quit before I'd pick one. I'd change coaches before I'd, I'd pick one or, or the other. So apparently they needed someone else to ski and she borrowed a pair of skis from some other skier and won a gold medal. <laughs> it was, I mean, it, oh, and you just, you just gotta love the, the heart and soul that you see from these athletes and and really truly i think uh who was it uh ann coulter laura ingram whoever it said shut up and sing well in this case shut up and ski or skate or or do whatever so now you've got lindsey vaughn who people are going to remember her as bashing trump instead of her magnificence uh skiing career you've got another skater i don't know who this skater was you're not going to remember that he went to the Olympics. You're just going to remember that he's gay and he whined about the vice president a lot and the media loved him. In fact, NBC loved him so much that they wanted to have him uh, come on and be a analyst for the rest of the Olympics. And they said, no, no, we're not going to. Uh, he said, no, I would rather because he, he would have had to move out of the Olympic Village. He said, no, I'm going to stay here. I want to enjoy my I want to enjoy my experiences uh, being a an athlete at the uh at the olympics but i thought it was kind of funny because he's the one that came out and he said you know i'm not a gay icon or america's gay sweetheart i'm just america's sweetheart and i'm just an icon so clearly he thinks well of himself uh very well of himself and the bottom line is a year from now nobody's even going to remember who he was so anyways i've enjoyed watching the olympics apparently i'm kind of alone in that because i i hear the numbers are way way down on that uh well you know what i love watching the athletes perform i i enjoy it and i do it so that i don't have to think about politics and and i'm shocked that the the that any of the athletes or any of the sports writers are are even uh, shocked that that people would be angry at them for bashing their president. You know, just shut up and ski, shut up and skate, shut up and well, whatever sport you like. Oh, I love the curlers. Have you seen the curlers? The curlers are from Duluth. They're so fun. I just love them. All right, USA, USA, USA. Can't help it. I'm a homer. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, I'm gonna tell you about my Supreme Court case. Uh, this is so exciting. Um, in spite of what some people say, when we go to D.C., uh, no, we just get to sit there and look like the plaintiffs we are. Uh, but I'll tell you all about it. It's just been super exciting, and it's really, really important, and all of you should hope we win. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. Don't call in. Don't call in. We have taped this early, so Stan can go on a wild adventure, and we're really excited for him, and he worked so hard. He deserves a vacation. I will be gone next week. John Gilmore will be filling in for me because I am going to Washington, D.C., I am a plaintiff in a case 
that has been accepted by the United States Supreme Court. This is so amazing and so unbelievable. I want you to think about this. Every year, there are millions and millions of lawsuits at many levels of of the court, and state court, um, circuit court, U.S. Supreme Court. Every year, different cases weave their way through, and some 70,000 of them are presented to the United States Supreme Court. The United States Supreme Court picks 70, 75, 80, somewhere in there of these cases to hear and rule on. And in general, they are very, very important cases. Uh, everything from the First Amendment to the Second Amendment to the Third Amendment to the Fourth Amendment, all these things that people have been arguing about. And Of those 70 or 80 cases, the United States Supreme Court decided to hear one of those cases was ours. And this is the most amazing thing. We lost at the state court level. We lost in the Eighth Circuit. And all of a sudden, thanks to the uh, Eric Cardle did a great job leading us through all of this. The folks at Minnesota Voters Alliance were absolutely amazing, taking us step by step by step by step. Pacific Legal Finance stepped up and they said, whoa, 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 you guys have got a major First Amendment case here. And the idea that an election judge or in the state of Minnesota has total discretion to decide if there should be a ban, uh, a dress code on what you should wear when you go when you go vote and should use the force of government and back it up with criminal and civil penalties is just ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. This month at the Supreme Court, uh, there are three huge, huge, huge cases to watch. One is Janus versus American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Council 31. This is the one that has to do uh, with... Um, uh, can state governments compel government workers to pay union fees? This is a huge case that lots and lots of people are waiting to see how it comes out with. I am hoping that they say the state can't force them to pay unions. You will hear a lot more talk about that one, too. The second big case in February is the United States v. Microsoft Corporation, and it talks about safeguarding private communications that are held in electronic storage and among them is the requirement that law enforcement officials may only obtain the contents of such communications with a warrant and and again huge case huge case that will have major implications uh, on electronic communications the third case is Minnesota Voters Alliance of Emansky. That is my case. That's the case I'm the plaintiff for. Uh, there are two people. There are three plaintiffs. Uh, Andy Selick, who is the CEO of Minnesota Voters Alliance, Dan McGrath, they both went and tried to vote and were turned away from voting because of, of their political 
or not passive political attire. Under Minnesota law, a political badge, a political button, and other political insignia may not be worn at the polling place on primary or election day. And this ban applies to all apparel that is designed to influence or impact voting or prompting a group with recognizable political views. So think about that for a second. Promoting a group with recognizable political views, that would could include everyone. Black Lives Matter. It could include the AFL-CIO. It could include the SEIU. It could include the Chamber of Commerce. It could include a any almost any shirt and in in some case extreme cases it could even be a red or a blue shirt so this is a very broad ban that minnesota has and gives these election judges tremendous discretion for them to decide what is appropriate uh what is appropriate attire to wear to the voting booth so andy selick the executive director of the minnesota voters alliance ran into this law in 2010 so we've been fighting this since 2010 he tried to vote wearing a t-shirt uh with the image of the gladson flag with the phrase don't tread on me and a tea party patriots loco logo he was also wearing a please id me button from the conservative group election integrity watch uh and and basically what what happened is they turned him away and this uh became a a very very big deal ultimately both andy and dan mcgrath were allowed to vote andy had to wait outside in the cold for five hours before before they let him before they even let him go in and vote and so many people say sue really Really? It, a t-shirt? Why didn't you just change your shirt? Why didn't you just take the button off? Folks, folks, this is about so much more than just a t-shirt. So much more than just a button. So much more than a hat. In fact, the t-shirt, the hat, the button, whatever you want to talk about isn't even important. The question is, should there be a dress code to vote? Should government be able to throw you in jail for the shirt that you wore to vote and people don't understand that there's a difference between active campaigning and passive campaigning they don't understand that that if you wore the wrong thing to vote you could go to jail you could be fined up to three hundred dollars and and the people who ask me why didn't you just change your shirt i tell them it's easy it would be easy. It would have been so easy to just let it go, to just to just let it drop. But you know what? The First Amendment is worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. And I, um, I want people to know that anytime you're involved in a lawsuit, it's scary and it's expensive. And and there are people that will chastise you and people that will say you're doing the wrong thing. But you know what? Folks, we have to fight. We have to fight for the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Third Amendment, the Fourth, the Fifth, all of them. Our freedom banks on it. So what what I want people to understand is the hat, the T-shirt, the whatever, 
that's not the problem at the polls. The problem at the polls would be government coming in and banning speech, uh, giving government blanket power to indiscriminately do where do whatever they want. Why would you stand? Why wouldn't you stand up for that? Why wouldn't you want to fight for that? We're hoping that the United States Supreme Court will invalidate this overbroad ban on political apparel because plain and simple, government went too far. They went too far. This case is really, really interesting because uh, when Pacific Legal put in, I'm not a lawyer, you know how this works. When Pacific Legal put in their, um, put in their argument, um, other other people can come in and they can say, yep, we agree with Pacific Legal. We agree with the the um, the Minnesota Voters Alliance or they can side with government. And we had eight or nine different organizations come in and side with us. Of course, uh, Pacific Legal, the ACLU lefties lefties at the aclu side with us the cato uh libertarian organization sided with us this is not a political thing this is a this is bipartisan the aclu came out and said the american electorate is surely hardy enough to vote their conscience even if they notice their fellow citizen is wearing a black lives matter t-shirt or an afl cio t-shirt or a women's march t-shirt hat hat or a women's march hat or a pro-life or peace sign button and you know what it's one of those times i agree with the aclu so minnesota has uh nine minnesota is one of nine states that have an overbroad law like this when we come back i'm going to tell you what some of the other some examples of crazy ridiculous examples of, of what happened in other states and why this is such a crazy idea why this is such a great case and why you should all hope that we win this case stay tuned sue jeffers twin cities news talk am 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Glenn Beck. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm telling you, I'm telling you how excited I am to go to Washington, D.C., to be a plaintiff in, in our, our court case. Thank you to Pacific Legal. Wen Fa is my new hero who it's just so absolutely amazing and exciting and it's just been an incredible incredible time and you know i tell you guys that i got involved in politics in the first place over property rights so it's real different for me to be actually in front of the united states supreme court over over a first amendment case but you know what it's not about a dress code to vote. It's not about uh, a button or a T-shirt or a hat or anything that. It's about an overbroad restriction on speech that targets anyone or everyone. Uh, the, the, the idea that you have to be... That, that you have to have the fashion police at at the polling place is just crazy. Uh, Minnesota and... Uh, nine other states ban t-shirts hats buttons that express even general general political views like supports for gun rights or labor unions the state officials have said that an orderly and controlled environment without confusion or interference or distraction is why they have such an overbroad 
overbroad uh, uh, law on the books. So remember, we sued and we lost in the lower courts. We lost at the eighth uh, U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in in St. Louis. But now, thanks to the great folks at Pacific Legal and thanks to the Minnesota Voters Alliance and the people who worked so hard on this case that managed to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, it really, really is uh it, it really is very impressive. So the law, overbroad law, I might add, imposes criminal and civil penalties if you wear shirts that promote a group with recognizable political views. So people say, just change your shirt, Sue. No, I'm not going to change my shirt. And under Minnesota law, Remember, and this is a direct quote of the Minnesota law, a political badge, a political button or other political insignia may not be worn at or about the polling place on the primary or election day. And then it goes on to say this ban on apparel is designed to influence and impact voting or promoting a group with recognizable political views. Okay, so what qualifies as recognizable? Does everyone have to recognize something for it to be banned or just just a few people or maybe just one election judge? So you talk about how I should just change my shirt and I say, no way. First Amendments are worth fighting for. OK, think about this. There was a college student uh, at, in Colorado who had on oh a college student in Colorado and Florida, this happened in two states, who were wearing MIT shirts, uh, sweatshirts. And the poll workers thought they the students were campaigning for, you guessed it, Mitt Romney. There was another woman who was trying to vote in Austin, Texas in 2012, was compelled to cover her Vote the Bible shirt in order to vote. In Arkansas in 2016, another person was wearing a shirt that said, I miss Bill, and Arkansas wouldn't let them vote. There were other instances where voters got in trouble for wearing Dallas Cowboy apparel in Texas when a stadium-financed issue was on the ballot and a Denver Broncos item in Colorado when a stadium tax was on the ballot. Okay, check this one out. In probably in the most bizarre example, there was a voter in Houston, Texas in 2008 who almost lost her ability to vote because she wore a souvenir Alaska shirt and the election judge thought that she was supporting, you guessed it, Sarah Palin. So the concept of free speech is so important. And think about this. A voter wearing a shirt that said, me too. A voter wearing a shirt that said, Black Lives Matter. Or a Colin Kaepernick jersey. In Minnesota and in these other states could be prosecuted for wearing that shirt prosecuted using the force of government to to go to jail or to pay a three hundred dollar fine uh, throughout the litigation governments have admitted that um that that the law could apply to voters who were wearing shirts that said Chamber of Commerce, the AFL-CIO, even the Minnesota Vikings, uh, even Minnesota Vikings jerseys. Um, there were others 
uh, right here in Minnesota, one judge in the Court of Appeals noted that the logic of the Minnesota statute would allow the state to take down names of voters who were wearing shirts that said American Legion, Veterans of Foreign War, and NAACP for prosecution. Perhaps even worse, voters wearing the shirts of other organizations not listed above wouldn't wear those shirts to the polling place for fear of prosecution. So in First Amendment terms the law chills our free speech and you should all hope we win this one you should all hope we win and you know what you shouldn't be afraid to fight government either you shouldn't be afraid to stand up and say hey quit trampling on our rights we have freedoms and in the four o'clock hour when we talk gun control don't mess with our gun rights either just don't mess with them and that'll be in the four o'clock hour and i bet it's just going to kill people that they won't be able to call in and weigh in uh but i have so many things to say about the about the gun gun rights and most importantly i would like to say what has anybody done to date since the florida school shooting to make our schools safer what what our kids are terrified uh they're becoming more terrified as they watch what's going on as we see more and more and more schools walking out of schools well who wouldn't want to walk out of a school where they ban guns They don't feel safe in their schools. They want to feel safe in their schools. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the legislative session started. Yep, started on Tuesday. And I got to tell you what's going on over over at the Capitol. Because normally the first day is just pomp and circumstance. Normally they swear in the new people. Let's see. Um, Carla Bigham. Carla Bigham won, uh, and Jeremy Munson won. So normally, uh, Carla Bigham would be sworn in in the Senate and, uh, Jeremy Munson would be sworn in the House. Uh, do you remember that we had a special election? We had a special election. Uh, Senate District 54, that out in that Cottage Grove area, member Senator Schoen had to step down because he behaved inappropriately and made inappropriate comments. Uh, but the, Minnesota GOP and their infinite wisdom backed uh, a rhino, a Republican in name only, in a district that voted for Trump and twice, twice elected GOP state reps um, against against a super extreme Democrat and Denny McNamara. I, I don't know what they were thinking. I I really don't. But you know what? The MNGOP worked hard, uh, not hard enough, because Carla Bigham. Carla Bigham won uh, 14,000. These special elections are crazy. 14,479 people cast votes in the Senate race and in the House race with Jeremy Munson, 6,658. So that's where votes do make a difference. So Denny McNamara got crushed. Carla Bigham was sworn in. Uh, Jeremy Munson, I'm feeling pretty darn encouraged by him. Uh, Jeremy Munson's a good conservative who worked, worked, worked super hard. Uh, it was kind of funny because Melissa Wagner, she's the one who ran uh, against him the day before the election. She said she tweeted out on Twitter, I think maybe maybe Facebook, another hundred doors personally uh, she knocked another hundred doors personally, thousands of calls and door knocks from friends and supporters. She's moving from cautiously optimistic to blue tsunami. Uh, didn't 
didn't happen. Didn't happen at all. Jeremy Munson crushed her. Granted, it's a Republican district, uh, but... Anyway, so Tuesday, May 20th was the start of the session. It's really interesting. The media take on this is, will they get their work done in time? Oh, it's a potential disaster. And like I said, well, they had all the hundreds of union people there, hundreds of um, and hundreds of gun grabbers there. What was the Senate caucus doing? <laughs> Listening to Tim Pawlenty. Yeah, the, that's the best you got. Republicans really I hope they asked Tim Pawlenty for a very generous donation. I hope that they asked where the heck he's been for the last seven years. Uh, some of the stuff that uh, that is going to be happening over at the Capitol, I think, is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, technically, they don't have to do much, but they probably will. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about... Some of the numbers that they're working on. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That bonding bill, grr, that should make you super mad. We'll talk about some of the legislation that's going on over there. And, of course, next hour, guns, guns, guns. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. This is the Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and Twin Don't call in. Don't call in. We are a taped show today. Stan's going off on a tremendous adventure, and we're happy to help him out. Then next week, John Gilmore will be on air for me because I'm going to the United States Supreme Court, and I'm pretty Darn yeah, I didn't hear about that. Excited about it. Oh, my gosh. It has just been such a whirlwind. I mean, I don't want I'm wanna... happy for you. You're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be a great experience. It, it has been a great experience. We've done all these interviews, and we've had media training, and we've, you know, had all these conference calls and meetings and everything to get ourselves ready to go. And, um, well, it's too late now, but I was on CNN Saturday morning. <gasps> I know. Pretty cool. Let me know. Now, you aren't um, going to come back from this as a lobbyist or something, are you? Absolutely okay, not. Okay, In fact, I hope it doesn't kill me to go to D.C. Because I hear where there's a job, plenty just resigned. So. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, $2 million a year. Is that what he made? Something like that? Well... Yeah, he think yeah, no, Tim, go away. Minnesota's moved on. Besides, Tim, where the hell you been for the last seven years? Nowhere to be found. Did you pay off that party debt? No, no, you didn't. Did you do anything to help uh, Republicans win? No, no, you didn't. Did you do anything to help get people uh, elected or to encourage people to get involved in politics? No, Tim, you didn't. All you did was fill up your bank account. Oh. Never plenty. Nope, 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 nope. I just saw someone ask me on Facebook, why do you dislike him so much? And I'm like, look at his record. Google the 2000 all, election, right? Oh, 2006. All Six. he did was, I'm going to wear my Sue Jeffers for governor button. All he did was, um, was, was use Minnesota as his stepping stone for what he thought was going to be his presidential campaign and what ultimately turned down into his lucrative uh, lobbying 
uh, job. And by the way, I don't fault Tim Pawlenty. Make lots of money. I hope everybody makes lots and lots and lots of money. I, I think that's terrific. Uh, anyway, all right. So Tuesday was the start of the legislative session. There are 3,000 bills sitting in the hopper. Uh, we just had uh, r- the monthly budget memo came out from Minnesota Management and Budget, and they talked about how the net fund revenues totaled $2.561 billion in January. That's $349 million more than forecast. The receipts were from individual income corporate and other taxes for the month um, that definitely exceeded the forecast. Let's remember their forecasts are always wrong. They're always inaccurate. There's always uh, something missing or something that's going to change or or whatever. Uh, net sales tax receipts were lower than expected. That's important. You should remember that. So for the fiscal year 2018, year-to-date receipts are now listen to this 12.757 billion dollars or 5.568 million dollars more than forecast so it tells you how wrong they are nobody could explain to me if it included the 200 million dollars in prepaid property taxes that we saw um remember the last budget numbers that we got in in early december the officials were uh screaming doom and gloom from the mountaintops because it was the forecast had a slight deficit of 187 million dollars that was because the federal government hadn't come up with the money the funding for the children health insurance program which is uh has now been totally totally restored what troubles me about the uh the surplus and a big surplus uh proving once again that minnesota taxes the snot out of the people who live here um and and we have got to have reform but it what it tells me that that big tax hall is uh, going to give the legislators uh, encouragement to spend more money. Let's remember last year, one year is supposed to be a budget year, the next year is supposed to be a bonding year, uh, and then next year we'll start all over again because uh, we do the two-year budget thing. I was furious with last year. They increased spending by 9.5% and told us we should be happy. It could have been a lot worse. Oh, give me a break. Uh, I was furious with the billion-dollar bonding bill. And don't kid yourself. There was well over a billion dollars in in bonding. There was just a billion, because uh, it's tucked into almost everything, all their different budget bills that they put together. Uh, but there was an actual billion-dollar bonding bill. Um, we already owe a billion dollars in debt service. Think about that. Before we do anything for state government, we have to take care of a billion dollars in debt service. Um, and, of course, we're already $10 billion in debt. Oh, thanks for that, too, Tim Pawlenty. Weren't you the one that bumped up the borrowing levels in Minnesota? Yes, yes, you were. Uh, so we're looking at, I think Governor Dayton wants a $1.5 billion bonding bill. So ridiculous maxing out the state credit card. Our kids are going to have to pay that off. Uh, it's so fiscally irresponsible. I just can't even handle it. I'm hearing somewhere between 800 million. You know, that'll never happen. Whoever's telling you 800 million is lying to you. Uh, Governor Dayton wants uh, $1.5 billion. And they keep talking about how, uh, the Republican senators, I think it was the senators went on some tour 
around the state of Minnesota where every city, town, county, government entity that you could find out there had their hand out. Gimme, 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 gimme. I want I want this in the bonding bill. I want that in the bonding bill. They had something like three point five billion dollars billion dollars in uh requests and they're saying see see when when all these people they they need all these things no they don't no they don't they're looking for a handout it's from us and it's at the expense of us and it's at the expense of future generations it's fiscally irresponsible and it shouldn't happen at all one thing that I'm quite pleased with, and I'm going to have to have Roger Chamberlain come on and talk about it. Roger Chamberlain is the Senate Tax Committee chair. Great representative. Love him. He's out of uh, Lionel Lakes, and he has been touring the whole entire state to talk about federal tax conformity. Uh, he's been doing these town halls with local senators, uh, mostly January and February, I think. Uh, and they're taking feedback directly from the taxpayers, and they're saying, hey, we need to act quickly uh, to the federal tax overhaul to minimize benefits for Minnesota citizens. Um, and when I say he's been all over, he's been all over. Bemidji, Plymouth, Zambroda, New Prague, Will- St. Cloud uh, and more more stops. Roger Chamberlain, Senator Chamberlain said that's our this is our number one priority for 2018. He said we have a historic opportunity to simplify the tax code and let Minnesotans keep more of their paychecks. What a great idea. Excellent idea, Senator Chamberlain. Uh, He said, last session we took an important first step, but the federal tax overhaul has opened up a whole new world of possibilities. As he's been traveling around the state, the response has been clear. Minnesotans want to keep more of their money. And Roger made a great point, too. He said uh, they do not have people. The people of Minnesota do not have a problem paying taxes because they know there are services the government has to provide. But they do feel like they're being overtaxed. And you're right, Roger. You're right. We Minnesotans are overtaxed. We get the snot taxed out of us. And it drives me crazy. Uh, Conforming to the tax code. Conforming the state tax code to the federal uh, changes could save Minnesotans more than $3 billion over the next few years. That is unbelievable. Of course, with the, uh, whereas you've got Roger, who's trying to make sure we keep more money in our pocket, uh, you've got all kinds of crazy stuff that, that they're going to be focus on, focusing on over at the Capitol. They're going to focus on, uh, a Democrat, every Democrat governor candidate wants a gas tax increase because we don't tax us enough already. They want a gas tax increase on top of that too. You're probably looking at another bailout for the insurance companies. Uh, Mark Dayton wants more money for bonding he wants more money for renewable energy he wants more money for water efforts he wants there's all kinds of things uh, that that we're seeing them push for over there i told you um on tuesday we had the moms demand action over there calling for common sense gun policies yeah 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 they don't want common sense gun policies they were in their pre-printed shirts with their pre-printed signs they got off the bus that they all loaded up on uh only one was wearing a vagina hat though so this is a very well-funded organization pushing for uh gun control you also had all the house dfl women on the first day at the capitol they wore black um uh, because they want to put pressure on sexual harassment they want uh 
it's part of the Time's Up movement. Uh, the unions were over there in full force. Uh, lobbyists were everywhere. And and the Republicans were talking to Tim Pawlenty. Who's looking out for us? Who's looking out for us? Oh, my gosh. There are so many big issues coming up, whether it's privacy, whether it's pensions, whether it's, um, well, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. One of the things they want to do, they want to uh, push for um, hands-free cell phone bill. Uh, yeah. When I say there are 3,000 bills over there, there are 3,000 bills over there, and about a 1,000 of them are stupid, are ridiculous, because government has their fingers in everything. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'll tell you some of the other stuff that's going to that's happening over at the Capitol. I can't stress to you enough how how you have to get involved over there because there are a lot of people over there who are working against our interests. There are a lot of people over there who who want to control every single aspect of your life. And there aren't enough of us over there to say, whoa, time out. I can make my own decisions. I'd like to keep more money in my pocket. And what the heck is is government doing interfering in that Anyway, stay tuned, everyone. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. Get ready to start. Fl- Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and com. I'm telling you. Nobody's safe when the legislature's in session. And yeah, the gavel fell on Tuesday and it's already not looking good for our side. And um, we're going to have to pay attention and we're going to have to work hard. And I will try to do a really good job when I get back. Uh, I'll try to do a really good job of keeping you updated and, and informed of how we can help and, and what we can do. We talked a little bit about... Um, uh, the lawmakers and how important it was going to be for, uh, like Roger Chamberlain to work on tax conformity. Um, the massive tax breaks that Congress in Washington, D.C. recently passed, uh, just like Roger Chamberlain said, he's the tax chair guy, uh, just like he said, um, this could be horrible for the, for the, for the state of Minnesota, because Minnesota is one of those high tax states, and it could uh, think about it. Most taxpayers in the United States are going to get tax cuts, except if you live in a state like Minnesota, where they tax the the snot out of you. The Minnesota Department of Revenue estimates that it would collect an additional five hundred and thirty million dollars over the next. Two years just by mirroring the new federal tax laws. Roger Chamberlain and others are going to work very, very hard to make sure you get to keep that money in your in your pocket. The other big fiasco that's going on over there, you know, there really has been one scandal after another. You'd never know it because the Minnesota media likes to minimize and downplay all of this stuff. But but you talk about the craziness at Minsure, um, and you talk about the state's computer system for driver's licenses and plates. Um, 
and you talk about some of the crazy stuff that's been going on in the in the Department of Health. You talk about the crazy stuff that's in the Department of Commerce. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff over there that just doesn't get enough coverage. Uh, but this Minlars fiasco is absolutely amazing. So Minlars, is, that's the computer for driver's licenses and plates. Anybody who has bought a car or uh, driver's license, all of that kind of stuff. What a fiasco. So they have spent 90, over $90 million on this fiasco and the thing still doesn't work. Talk about a cluster. And now they came back and they said, oh yeah, uh, we have this new plan that we can get it back on track. And yeah, the $93 million that you already spent, well, we only need another $43 million. We only need another $43 million. So needless to say, the price tag, shockingly, uh, upset Republicans and Democrats and and they want some some explanations for this. That will definitely be something they're going to have to work on. I told you about the ridiculous bonding bill that they're going to have to work on. Put the bonding bill away, boys and girls. Put the bonding bill away. We don't need a bonding bill this year. We don't. We just simply don't. You had a billion-dollar bonding bill last year. You had another billion tucked into all these other garbage bills that you rammed through that Mark Dayton signed into law. You don't need a bonding bill. You are maxing out the state credit, and our kids, our kids and our grandkids are going to have to pick up the tab for this outrageous spending. One of the other things you're going to hear a lot of talk about is uh, opiate, opiate abuse. Uh, they keep telling this, telling you this is an epidemic. It isn't an epidemic. It's a tragic, tragic, horrible situation. And, and now you've got, uh, Governor Dayton pushing for a penny a pill tax on narcotic medications with the goal of raising $20 million to fund treatment and prevention programs. No, Governor Dayton, no. You're hurting the very people who need these pain medications, the very people who in 95% of the cases don't abuse and overuse those pain medications. People who really, really, truly suffer are, are going to be the ones who are hurt by some of the... Uh, some of the additional costs, be it the penny of the pill or be it some of the legislation that we're going to see coming down, not only from Minnesota, but from uh, from Washington, D.C. as well. Uh, you're also going to see this is kind of interesting. Uh, you're going to see constitutional questions put to the Minnesota voters. So think about it. We've had uh, you suckers stupidly voted for the legacy amendment way back when uh, slush fund for the legislators to just squander on. Oh, God knows what. Um, ridiculous. Very little accountability there, too. We had the photo ID amendment. We had the marriage amendment. We've had uh, several constitutional amendments in the last 10 or 10 or 20 years. But this year, you're going to see uh, more. And the interesting thing about a constitutional amendment is the governor can't veto it. So if it passes, it goes on the ballot. And generally speaking, um, yeah, voters are stupid and they don't bother to look into it. The wording of the constitutional amendment matters so much. Uh, and the PR, who's behind it? Who's going to do what? You're seeing... Uh, 
you're seeing a push for the Equal Rights Amendment. Those were some of the ladies who were over. Uh, this has been going on since the 70s. They were over at the Capitol, uh, over at the Capitol last year, too. Um, but these constitutional amendments, they're going to include everything from a sales tax on auto parts and car rentals. Yep, another tax. Uh-huh. Well, if Tim Pawlenty is the governor, he'll tell you it's not a tax, it's just a fee um, t- uh, that would go towards funding roads and bridge repairs. Uh, there's a, I want to say there's five or six different, uh, five or six, uh, one uh, one of them has to do with health care. Uh, you know what, when I come back, I'll have a list of what those other constitutional amendments are. That'll be interesting to see which of those will move forward. You're also going to see a huge push uh, for sexual for sexual harassment. The state paid out $710,000 in the last six years to settle sexual harassment complaints in the executive branch. Uh, we saw two lawmakers who were forced to resign last year year uh sexual harassment policies at the capitol are under a micro microscope um doubt uh house speaker kurt doubt and senate majority leader paul gazelka are intent on handling it internally doubt said that all 134 members will receive training on wednesday or get this they'll be tossed off their committees uh, Gazelka said he's launched a review of the Senate decades old sexual harassment policies, but you've got a handful of lawmakers, including Representative Aaron McQuaid, who are not going to let this go away. They're going to get up and they're going to keep they're going to keep pounding on this over and over and over. You know what? You law- lawmakers, you're supposed to be adults, for God's sakes. There are laws on the books. There's decorum in the Senate and in the House. Don't tell me you need to be going to sexual harassment training. Uh, the the idea that that Kurt Doubt says you're going to take sexual harassment training, you're going to get off your, you're going to be thrown off your, off your committee. Guess what, Kurt Doubt? I'd throw you out of that speaker's chair. I'd throw you out of that speaker's chair. These are adults that we're that that we're talking about. So apparently, this is an all day sexual harassment and bias training session. I mean, think about that. And make sure when you're watching that bias training that it isn't all about white people. Uh, that's, that's probably the part that, that bothers me, that bothers me so much because every example is, is how, how biased white people are. Every, yeah. And it, it's, you know, they're, the authors like to pick out examples that, show their own implicit bias by only citing examples of white people being racist and biased. I got news for you. It isn't just limited to white people. Uh, Kurt Doubt said that uh, the House will have a zero tolerance for inappropriate behavior. Um, mandatory training, so ridiculous. Doubt said if the members choose not to participate, they will be removed from their committee assignments and they can explain to their constituents why they don't serve on any committees in the House. Yeah, Kurt, because you caved. Because you caved to the pressure. We're t- These people are adults. Kurt Doubt even said, um, I can't fire them. They have an election certificate. Um, Kurt Doubt says he... 
Yeah, he doesn't trust these people either. Kurt Dowd says he plans to have staff members monitor the training rooms. People who check in only to leave after 10 minutes will be marked as having not attended and will be stripped of their committee assignments. Um, that Thursday, February 22nd, senators and Senate staffers will asten- attend a respect in the workplace training session. Uh, you'll see some changes made in that one, in, in that one too. Um, what did you just tell me? Did you just tell me to take a break? Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, I, I kind of want to tell you a couple other things that are happening over at the Capitol. And then I want to get into what's happening uh, in New Brighton, which is crazy, just absolutely crazy. But then I, we got to do guns, 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 because I have a lot to say about guns, guns, guns. Don't be messing with our gun rights. Don't. Just don't. Stay tuned. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and com. What a day for a daydream. Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. I'll tell you, thanks to you knuckleheads who voted for Val Johnson. Val Johnson is the mayor of New Brighton, and for a talk radio host, she is just the gift that keeps on giving. So a couple weeks ago, I told you I'd had a letter to the editor in the paper thanking Gina Bauman for being a Fabulous council member. Uh, this past week, we had uh, Paul Peterson from New Brighton wrote a letter to the editor. Uh, to the editor, I'm writing in regards to your blasphemous and virtue signaling mayor. My family and I have been in New Brighton for a little over a year, and we plan on leaving as soon as the capital gains penalty runs out. Not only am I disappointed in Mayor Val Johnson's tactics... Regarding ensuring her a bonus year in office, I am also amazed at her embarrassing outburst last year and amazed that she was reelected after making a laughing stock of our com- community in the national news. Diversity of thought is alive and well in this country, and part of the reason we elected President Trump is that we're all tired of being told how privileged we are and being called racist when we disagree with the very part of what Val, the Val Johnsons of the world spew. I don't feel represented by my elected officials in this city, and I'm moving my family elsewhere. I want that to be known. So needless to say, Paul is upset with our mayor that continues to embarrass us. The last week we had uh, a wonderful article, a letter to the editor written by Ben Jones. Ben Jones said, wrote, uh, the mayor and council's decision to lengthen their own terms as part of changing New Brighton's election years from odd to even was deeply disappointing. The decision to lengthen already elected terms was made even though the council could have accomplished the election year change by having it take effect after the 2019 election or by shortening the terms. This was a self-serving move and disrespectful to the electorate. The claimed reason 
reason for the change is to increase voter participation? If so, why lessen input from the voters by unnecessarily eliminating an election during the transition process? Our local elected officials do a lot of work for the city at pretty modest pay, and politics can be a rough business. But that does not mean they have earned the right to extend their posts when they could have accomplished their goals without doing so. Claiming this decision shows leadership or implying that lengthening their own terms is some kind of favor to the city is insulting to the voters who elected them and to the many great citizen volunteers in New Brighton. The mayor and council members should reflect on the great privilege and trust that they have been given by the citizens of New Brighton and should reconsider their decision. If they believe moving to an even-year election is important, they should amend the recently passed ordinance to take effect after the 2019 election and shorten any terms already elected by the voters. Ben Johnson was so polite. Ben Jones was so polite and so respectful and so articulate as he laid out how how insulting the mayor and the city council were towards the voters, towards the people of New Brighton. And you know what the you know what the mayor and the council did? They decided that, yeah, Ben, you shouldn't write something like that. So we're going to boot you off your volunteer planning commission. So the New Brighton commissioner, he's the guy who, Ben Jones, he wrote the letter to the editor in the New Brighton Bulletin, who dared to question the former city council uh, and the mayor of changes to elections. The <laughs> the council voted three to two to remove Ben Jones from the planning commission. The council members and the staff said Jones' letter was insulting and misleading, and Jones thought that that was an unfair assessment. Ben Jones said, I'm disappointed. I think it shows a little bit of pettiness on the council of the council majority. Uh, ben, a lot of pettiness from the, from the new Brighton city council. And Jones went on to say, and a little bit of an unhealthy attitudes, attitude toward the role, the com, to, toward the role of the commission and toward dissent in the city. Um, uh, this is the second time the council have voted to lengthen their terms. Second time. The first time was in November of 2015. But yes, thank you to my heroes, Sue Erickson and Gina Bauman, who sued the city and it was upheld by the Minnesota Supreme Court in a 17 point ruling. I say that all the time. Uh, and the city keeps saying, oh, they won on a technicality. Yeah, because you didn't follow the law. Yeah, you threw out our petition that was accurate. By the way, there's another petition. So if you're in New Brighton and you want to sign that petition, get in touch with me. Uh, that's for sure. Val Johnson, the petty, vindictive, nasty woman that she is, voted to throw Ben Jones off the, off the planning commission. She said, he has insulted me. He has insulted the council. I don't know if I could ever trust him again as a as a commissioner. Johnson said that at, at the at the last meeting. She said, when I lose trust, when I lose that trust in the people that we appoint, there's something that needs to be done. And this is so crazy. Mark Herring, um, where does he write at? Well, look to north. He's got a blog. Let me think about about, about what the name of his blog is. Um, 
He wrote, lest I offend dear leader Mayor Johnson's delicate sensibility, let's get something straight. You wanted to be mayor. You ran for mayor. You are the mayor in an open society. Your decisions, your behavior, your general comportment, all of it are fair game for criticism, even open ridicule. No wonder you don't want to face the voters until 2020. Right on, Mark. Right on. Now, as if our mayor isn't crazy enough, we also have a crazy city manager. Uh, the city manager, uh, uh, Dean Lauder, said um, uh, venues in which public meetings are conducted should be a sanctuary for free thought and decorum. It's integral to achieving integral to achieving that dialogue and that goal. In order to achieve that decorum, commissioners have to give up some of their rights, like penning editorials. That's just how it is. Really, Dean Lauder? Really? When did that come about? Uh, The training materials given to the commissioners outline their expectations of behavior. Um, The only thing is, they only throw the conservatives off. If uh, they're, you know, what they've had liberals who have written letters to the editor read liberals who have criticized whatever and they just get to stay there it's yeah um in fact if you're like sue erickson she does such great work i can't even remember what she was a volunteer for um but she was invited to this volunteer recognition dinner and right before it new brighton called her and uninvited her that's how vindictive and petty this mayor is so ridiculous. You've got someone who volunteered their time and their effort for the city of New Brighton, but the mayor doesn't like the way you think, doesn't like the way you talk, and throws you off the committee. Oh, New Brighton, the gift that just keeps on giving. Uh, I'll give you more information about the petition, too. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, guns, 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 keep your gun-grabbing hands off my guns. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, com. Hey, it's Drew, and if you've got... Uptown got its hustlers The Bowery got its bumps The 42nd Street got Big Jim A walker here, bull shooting son of a gun Good Saturday afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Sue Jeffers. This is the Sue Jeffers Show. Do not mess with our gun rights. Don't mess with them. The murderer who took the lives of the 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, was on everybody's radar. The school authorities knew about it. The local police knew about it. The FBI knew about it. Everybody knew about it, and nobody did anything. And we are seeing the survivors of this horrific school shooting being paraded across our TVs over and over and over again, demanding gun control. And uh, my heart breaks for these people. My heart breaks for them. And there are things that we can do. There are things that we should do. Banning our guns, grabbing our guns, taking away our guns. Uh, they're ridiculous, and I use air quotes, common sense gun reform is Exactly that. Ridiculous would have done nothing to stop this or really, I think, almost any other school shooter, too. Uh, and the idea that they are, uh, like I said, parading these heartbroken, wounded, traumatized children across our TVs is pathetic. And it makes me sick. Um, I want to get into 
some of the stuff on that, too. First off, I want to tell you, the Minnesota legislature already has, I want to say, 10 uh, bills sitting in the hopper already. Uh, One of them... One of the bills would allow law enforcement or family members to ask a court to ban a person from possessing firearms if they pose a threat. Another bill calls for universal background checks. Uh, The Stand Your Ground bill is in there that would allow lethal force to be used, um, whether you're in your home or not. That's a fabulous bill. That should be passed. Uh, Another bill would eliminate the need, in most cases, for a gun permit uh, to carry on public property. Another great one. Uh, One bill would allow um, um, bump stocks, making bump stocks illegal. And I just saw... Let's see. Okay, they're going to have another... Uh, they're going to have Protect Minnesota and several legislators are going to have a press conference at the Capitol. This is Thursday, February 22nd. Um, whoops, that's over. <laughs> well, I guess I'll tell you ne- next week how it goes. Um, there, but there are three other, two other bills that came out. One was firearm related data collection. This is a bill that allows the Department of Health to collect information on firearm own- ownership for the purposes of public health. Aaron Murphy doesn't surprise you. It's from Aaron Murphy. No, we, we, we don't have to, we don't have to, uh, put our name into the state of Minnesota to tell them what guns we have. I heard Pat Kessler imply that too, that the government really has no idea who has guns and what guns they have, uh, to have a list of who has gun, who owns gun in the state of Minnesota. No. And here they're trying to do it under the guise of public health research. Um, Current state law prohibits the commissioner of health to collect certain gun-related data for any reason. Uh, Aaron Murphy's bill would modify that, and yeah, they try to tell you that it, the identity, the data must be de-identified. De-identif- Don't care. No, 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 no. Uh, there's another bill authored by. Representative Fu Lee and Jeff Hayden. No surprise. Trauma-informed gun violence re reduction bill it's a pilot programming addressing trauma resulting from gun violence this bill directs the community community commissioner of health to establish a a program to aid in the reduction of trauma resulting from gun violence address the root causes of gun violence by providing resources training and education a hundred thousand dollar appropriation for 2019 that sounds like a big old waste of money yeah it's a slush fund to spend it on whatever it is that they need to spend it on here's the point what kind i want everyone to think about this what kind of gun control might have prevented the florida killing you you hear the gun grabbers talking about moderate and talking about common sense reforms and talking about regulatory approaches. Not one of their approaches would have stopped that Florida killing. And you think, um, you, you think of uh, a prohibition of, of guns, the seizure of millions of firearms. There are something like 300 million guns in our country and Thankfully, the government doesn't know where they all are. These millions of firearms in private hands, that's not 
to to figure out who they are and to try to take them away. That is not moderate. It is not common sense. And it would almost certainly be found to be unconstitutional. I don't know how Democrats think they could round up uh, 350 million uh, million Democrats. You know, uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, he had a great segment last week. He understands the gun control game that the lefties like to play. And every time there's a school shooting, um, he talks about this and he talks about this. These people are, are not calling for common sense gun control, reasonable gun control. It, they're calling for people control. And every time they come together and they want to punish the people who don't misuse our firearms, they don't. And you've got you've got schools, you've got uh, mental health professionals, you've got doctors, you've got families, you've got the FBI, you've got law enforcement with all these laws on the books. And in the case of this Florida school shooting, not one who dropped the ball. The ball was dropped at every single level. And I, I want you to think about this. The same people who have been calling Trump Hitler for the last year and a half, two years, um, they're the people they want to trust Trump to take the guns away. They want only the police to have guns. Are you kidding me? What did I see? I saw someone who wanted to um, uh, do something with the magazine, the capacity of the magazines. No, Uh, however many, however many. However many bullets the police magazines hold, that's how many I want. And you know why? Look at uh, Venezuela. Look at Venezuela. You don't want the government to be the only people with guns, people. And these children, these children that are so vulnerable, so sad, so frightened, and really uh, heartbroken. They're 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 in pain, and they're and they're grieving. And you've got these people. They're not out there protecting them. They're not out there helping them, which is what we as adults should be doing. They're exploiting them. They're exploiting them. And you've got the organizers of the Women's March and the other gun grabber groups that are out there, the the anti-Trump things, and, and they're calling for nationwide walkouts by the teachers and the students coming up in in March. And they're using these children to lead the call because the children don't understand. The children don't understand the implication of violating our civil rights. They don't understand how banning guns isn't going to keep them safer. All those children want, all those children want is to feel safe and secure in their schools. And what have the gun grabbers done? Have they come up with anything, anything that's going to make those schools safer? No, no, they haven't. You, you, the people who are exploiting these children, these progressive anti-gun, anti-gun, uh, they're gun grabbers. I call them, I call them gun grabbers. They, they don't care about children's life. I feel like they are standing on the bodies of the dead, of the dead children. And, and then they have the nerve to come back at us and say, listen to the children, um, listen to the children. And because the liberals, the gun grabbers, they can't make those arguments. So they're going to put these children up there. They're going to ex- exploit these children. And then if we dare to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, think about what you're saying. You're you're willing to give up um, your liberty for the the promise of security that will never happen. Um, and then think about it. Last week, we were worried about kids eating 
Tide Pods, and now they're looking at them for advice on how to how to ban guns. Uh, the there are a lot of things that we can do. There are a lot of areas that we should be looking at. When I talk about all the people that drop the ball, people from his family, people from his classmates, his teachers, uh, the school district. Um, Law enforcement, the FBI, uh, and then of course we're hearing talk about mental, mental health too. There are so many different ways, uh, different things that we're going to need to, uh, need to address. There was a teacher of the year at a Florida middle school who said, uh, put on, posted on social media that got a lot of play, uh, should have gotten more play, said, until we as a country are willing to get serious and talk about mental health issues, lack of available care for mental health issues, lack of discipline in the home, horrendous lack of parental support when the schools are trying to control horrible behavior. Everybody thinks, no, no, not my kid. Uh, she throws in there, uh, she'll also also include violent video games that take away all sensitivity to any com- compassion for other people's lives as well as reality TV that makes it commonplace for people to constantly scream up in each other's faces and not value any other person but themselves we will have a gun problem in school and I and I and I think she's right um, I the idea that they can ban these guns and and that we are going to come up with this utopia where there are no more school shootings is ludicrous. It is ludicrous. And the person that should be blamed for this horrible, tragic affair is the shooter, the shooter himself. But again, we can talk about culture. We can talk about psychotropic drugs. We, drugs, we can talk about the failure of the school or the FBI. But banning something we know is not gonna not gonna make it away make it go away. If you eliminate the NRA, it's not going to change a thing. Uh, the ideas that that we're hearing some of these some of these people uh, throw out there is just absolutely ridiculous. And and we have to we have to understand that there will never be a cure for these mass shootings. But, but there are lots and lots of things we can do. And I, I can see that I'm not going to get to all the different things. So I think when I come back, uh, maybe we will try to talk about some of the steps that can be done to eliminate uh, some school shootings. It, I want you to think, I'm going to post a story up later on. Um, there's a great story about why are there no mass shootings at Disney World. And think about it. It's to Disney's advantage that they have strict security. Do you see it? No, you don't. Uh, but there's also a very serious concern uh, for that uh, school to prison that that happens when you put cops in schools. I think the teacher should be armed, and we'll have to uh, we'll have to get back to we'll have to get back to all of that. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll be gone next week. Thank you to John Gilmore. And when I come back, I'm going to have the greatest stories to tell and mostly about Washington, D.C. in our case. And you should all hope that we win it. Uh, Hopefully, the United States Supreme Court agrees with us. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, everyone. Have a great week. I'll see you in two weeks. Sue Jeffers, Twin Cities News Talk AM 1130 and TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.